I get the privilege of touching on chapter 3. I don't know that we'll get through all of the chapter. We'll get to where I'll find a place to quit somewhere along the line at a reasonable time. But um, the, the title that I have given this message today is Beware of Dogs. Beware of Dogs. And uh, we're going to read from chapter 3 before we pray, just uh, verses 1 through 4. Finally, my brethren, I love how this says, finally, because there's this whole chapter and another chapter that follows it. So Paul is like most of us preachers, you know, he had numerous conclusions to his message. Uh, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That means to spin for joy, to celebrate in the goodness of God. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. The phrase comes right out of the Bible. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Let's read that last verse together, beginning with, for we are. Let's read it out loud together. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Father, let your word really bless our hearts today. Let it nurture us, strengthen us, feed us, give us a new appreciation for the grace that you've shown us. In Jesus' name, amen. About 4,000 years ago, a man who lived around modern-day Iraq was called by God, was sovereignly touched by God, and we don't know exactly how that happened, if God appeared to him in a vision, in a dream, or whatever. But that man was called by God to leave his homeland and to go into a country that God was going to show him. His name was Abram. His name later became Abraham, for good reason. But he was an amazing man. He, he followed, he, he took this journey. He left his home on a word from God. And as Pastor Johnny was talking about the, the yeses of life, that's basically what I'm talking about here today with Abram. Abraham said yes to God. And when we say yes, it really means we are putting our faith in him. And God loves when we say yes. And this man said yes through the, the craziest situations and circumstances. And he strayed sometimes from it, but he always came back to the yes. He always said yes. And interestingly enough, the prophecy that God gave him, the things God promised him, didn't even happen in his lifetime. They were fulfilled, in fact, are still being fulfilled today, the words that God gave to Abram. And some of us, when we have prophetic words, we look at them and we expect God to fulfill them by next Tuesday morning or something. But there are certain prophecies that God gave you that very likely won't be fulfilled in your lifetime. They may be fulfilled by your children, by those whom you mentored, your spiritual offspring. We don't know those things for sure. But Abram left his home on a word from God, and he moved into what we know today as the land of Israel, the promised land. 
And I want to read some verses from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 and 4 through 6. Listen to these words closely. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. And he took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed, catch this, because the New Testament writers repeat this verse. Then he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. That word reckon means he put it in his account. Abraham believed God, and God put it in Abram's account as righteousness. That yes to God was written in the little log book, the little entry book the, 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 of Abram. That yes meant righteousness. And that means right standing with God. That's a simpler way to explain that word. Abram had right standing. His yes meant right standing with the Father. This is an amazing story. Do you know, all through the Bible, it's always about faith. It is not about performance. It is about faith. And God made a covenant with Abram in the verses that follow here in chapter 15. God was so impressed with this guy's yes and his continual yes, even through his blunders, God was so impressed with the yes that he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so Abram was instructed to prepare the sacrifice, and I'm not going to take the time to read this. You'll find it later in chapter 15. But he prepared the sacrifices. He took a bull and a goat, and he, he cut them in half, and he took a couple of birds. And in the fashion of an Eastern covenant, this was covenant language in those days, two parties would get together, and they would take the sacrifices and cut them in half, and they would make aisles out of them. There would be half of the the bull here and the other half there, half of the goat here, the other half there, the birds would be divided. There would be an aisle made. They would form an aisle. And the two partners would stand on either side of the aisle, and they would walk up that aisle between the sacrifices, and there they would make a covenant agreement with one another. They would enter into a covenant that that they planned, they, they would keep for the rest of their lives. It was a loyalty that they would give. Now, the amazing part of the story, the most amazing part, is that when it came time for the covenant, Abram had already, he had, he had arranged the sacrifices. Everything was ready for God to show up. And when the Lord showed up, the first thing he did was to cause a deep sleep to fall on Abram. Do you remember the story? Abram fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, the Lord appeared to him in a vision, and he saw him as a, as a smoking furnace, as this, this glowing thing that came, and, and God came down the aisle and made the covenant with Abram while he was sleeping. In other words, God says, this is going to be a unilateral covenant. I'm going to do all the work, and all you have to do as Malcolm Smith taught so many years ago, is wake up and say thank you. 
wake up and say thank you. That's the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's always been about faith, not performance. It is the yes that touches the heart of God every time. And so, all we need to do is wake up and say thank you. Now, Abram's offspring became the nation of Israel. And they were given the law of Moses. And one of the reasons that the law was given is because of the propensity in the human heart to want to perform for God. Not to just say yes, okay, I accept that God, but to say, God, I can do one better than that. I can add to that. And so, God knew that, and he wanted to give this this great big object lesson that took about 2,500 years. It was called the law. And if the law, the New Testament uh, stands behind this, if the law did anything, it was to show us our transgressions. Read Romans. It'll teach you that in, in the book of Romans. The law shows us our transgressions. We look at the law and we say, my gosh, I can't do all of that. And that's the point of the law. It drives us to say yes to God and to his righteousness, to the sacrifices that he allowed in the law that all pointed to the ultimate sacrifice when the Son of God said yes to the Lord and gave us the privilege of saying, yes, I believe that. And when we did that, when we knelt at an altar, wherever it happened in your life, when you did that, your yes was written in your account as right standing with God. You can give the Lord a hand on that one. That's pretty awesome. It's amazing. It is right standing. God was looking for faith. Now, what does that have to do with the church at Philippi? I mean, the church at Philippi was, was made up of, and, and Pastor Johnny talked about the, the, three, the, the three members, the, the first members of the church there. We had Lydia, uh, a, a prosperous businesswoman, a Jewish woman who was a woman of prayer who received Christ as Lord and Savior. Then we had a fortune teller who was making a lot of money for the, her, the people that uh, owned her. She was a slave. She came to Christ. The devil was cast out of her, and she came to Christ. Then we had a, a jailer who was probably on, uh, like, working part-time uh, as a retiree uh, in, the, in the area there at Philippi, a man who's used to just saying yes to everyone, which is why he said, tell me what to do to be saved. He's used to taking orders. So now we have these members, but now more members are being mentioned. And the members that Paul is mentioning here in chapter 3 are trouble. And we know who they are. They are Paul's worst enemies. They are the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were people that were all about the Old Testament law. This thing about faith in Christ was not enough. They wanted to add things to the Christian life. Of course, we never do that today, do we? They wanted to add things to the Christian life so that we could feel like we did something, like we contributed something to our salvation. It was not enough to wake up and say yes. Oh, we had to do something. And so along comes during this period of time in the early history of the church, these Judaizers. They were Pharisees prior to this time. Many of them were still of the party of the Pharisees. And by the way, the Pharisees, their origin was godly. 
They were raised up in the intertestamental period. Between Malachi and Matthew, there was about a 400-year period we call the intertestamental period or the silent years when it seems no prophet from God spoke. But there was stuff going on during the silent years. The silent years weren't very quiet. And one of the things that went on is the Greeks were ruling the world at that time, and their job was to Hellenize the whole world. And Hellenize means to get the Greek culture in everywhere they went. Everywhere they conquered, they wanted to create a culture that was Greek. Now, when they tried to impose that on the Israelites, these guys were reacting to it. And so a righteous group of Israelites rose up and said, no, we are not going to take this immoral culture on ourselves We are going to stand on the law of God. We are going to stand on the word of God. And they became zealous for the law of God. And they did a wonderful work during those years between the Testaments. But by the time that we get to Jesus, to the birth of Jesus, they had become a bunch of religious fanatics who had added so much stuff to the Word of God, so many laws, so many things that they added to the Word of God, continually accusing Jesus and his disciples, they created lots of problems. They started out good, like many of us do, but we want to add something to the gospel. We want to feel like we contributed something. It's not enough for us just to say thank you. And that's that's what was going on with the church at Philippi. In fact... In Acts chapter 15, this is the story about the uh, council at Jerusalem where they were coming together trying to decide what to do with all these Gentile converts. It says in Acts uh, chapter 15 and verse 5, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way. And so as they they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And the news made all the believers very glad. They're so excited that the gospel is going outside of uh, Judaism here. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Then, now catch this, then some of the believers, some of the members of the church at Jerusalem, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, this is huge. And a lot of what Paul wrote about in his epistles, in Romans, in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, a lot of it had to do with this very thing. There was a, a section of people, a group of people in the church, and the church is comprised of all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds. It, it still is. But here, these guys wanted to bring their Pharisee background into the church. And it was the first major dispute of the church. It was the first major thing. And I want to tell you, it is still a major thing. It still goes on in the church world today, although it's dressed up a little bit differently. 
And so, these Pharisees are trying to press in and say, we need to be obeying the law of Moses. Now, Scripture says here in Philippians 3, verses 1 through 4, I want to bring that that first text up again, and we're going to walk through this. Finally, my brothers, he says, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. In other words, he had apparently told them this same thing before. He had written to the Philippians and taught them and so on and made sure they understood. But he said, to write these same things, it's not tedious for me. You know, don't, don't worry about me. I don't mind sitting down and writing this in a letter to you again because for you, it is safe. I'm concerned about your safety. Now, God is not rebuking that Philippians uh, is not a book that contains a rebuke to the church. But this warning is in there of what is potentially uh, able to happen if they're not careful. And so he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. Paul said, it's not tedious for me to write, but I want you to know you need to watch out for the dogs. There are two Greek words in the New Testament used for dogs. One of them is used in the story of the woman who came with her child, and Jesus, she was a Gentile woman, and uh, Jesus said it's not proper to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she said, but Jesus, even the, even the puppies, even the puppies get the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus was amazed at her faith, and he, he healed her, her child. That Greek word there that's used is the little lap dog the little Yorkie or Shih Tzu or whatever they had in Israel at that time. And uh, they, they had these little puppies. But the word that is used most often elsewhere in the New Testament for dogs is a very negative one. It is a, these packs of dogs that would roam the street, devour everything, harass people, and so on. So being called a dog was not a very nice thing to be called in those days. It would be like calling me today a cat. You know how I feel about cats. But he says, beware of dogs. Beware of these mongrels. Beware of these animals that go around devouring everything. Beware of them. Look out for them. Now, he's calling people who are part of the church, he's calling the dogs because of what their hearts are doing, the potential for what can happen in the church. And then he calls them evil workers. They are evil workers. The word workers that is used there is the same word that's used elsewhere for workers in the church. These are people that were involved in the church. They were part of the body. But he said, look out for them because this message that they carry about adding something to salvation by faith, adding something to the yes, is an extremely dangerous thing. It's like having dogs around you, evil workers in your midst. And then he calls them, thirdly, the mutilation. Now, all of this is in the context of circumcision. Circumcision was the big deal with these Pharisees. There were lots of other laws that they wanted to be followed, but circumcision was the big one. And they were bothered because all these Gentiles were coming to Christ. They were so bothered by all these salvations. And these guys are coming to church, and they're thinking, he's not circumcised yet. How can he worship God? 
How can he be part of the church, of the Israel of God, if he is not circumcised? And that became the huge deal. And Paul mockingly says, look out for the mutilation. All these guys want to do is mutilate the flesh. They want to make sure that you're circumcised. That's all they care. And he said, watch out for that teaching. The message translation, I love it. It's, it calls them knife-happy circumcisers. <laughs> Beware of the knife-happy circumcisers. Now remember, Abraham was declared righteous by God. And if you follow the timeline of Abraham's life, he was declared righteous by God. This might be new to some of you before he was circumcised. That's heavy, and Paul uses that argument. He was declared righteous by God before he was circumcised. Why? Because it's always been about the yes. It's always been about faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we, we see in Paul's writings in various places in in Galatians 3, for example, starting with verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Hmm. Rhetorical question. It's the hearing of faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, I'm quoting Genesis here, chapter 15, he believed, and it was put into his account for right standing. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the true sons of Abraham. So he's telling us here, this is not about being part of a race called the Jews. This is being part of a family of faith. And that's what the Bible clearly teaches. Ephesians 2, the middle wall of partition has been removed and taken out of the way. And you are now one family in Christ made of Jew and Gentile. It's, it's so clear in the New Testament. And so he says, um, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God was going to justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That takes you back to Genesis 12, when God said, leave your homeland, I'm going to bless all the nations because of you. All the nations. So, the Lord preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he said that, the nations will be blessed in you. So then, the conclusion, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. It's all about faith. Galatians 6, 3 rather, 26 through 29, same chapter. For you are all sons of God, how? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, 
you become an heir. You are part of Abraham's seed. Because the seed was not the physical nation of Israel alone. The greater prophetic impetus here is upon the new family that God would make, comprised of Jews and Gentiles. They are the ones who are the heirs according to the promise. It is not about circumcision. It is about faith. It is not about any other works. It is about faith. In fact, Jesus contended with the Pharisees. And if you read in John chapter 8, you will discover these Pharisees said, we're not illegitimately born. They were accusing Jesus of being born illegitimately. And uh, they, they just, they figured he was illegitimate, but they were the true children of Abraham. They had their pedigree. They knew their lineage. They knew what tribe they came from. And so were the pure Jews. And Jesus said to them, the meek and gentle Jesus said, you are of your, your, you are the offspring of your father, the devil. I mean, he didn't mince words with them. They're, they're trying, because they're trying to stand on their pedigree, their physical pedigree. And Jesus says, you have no part in the seed of Abraham. The children of Abraham are those who come by faith and embrace, who say yes to him and have righteousness put on their account because of their yes. And so, what then distinguishes the people of God today? What makes us distinguishable from others. Well, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision. Who's he talking to? Gentile believers and Jewish believers in Philippians. And he says, we as members of the church, we are the circumcision. There is a new circumcision that has taken place, and we are part of that circumcision, he says. What do they do? Well, how, how do you know a circumcised person? Well, they worship God in the Spirit. In other words, their worship is not some external thing where I'm going to bring this sacrifice, I'm going to act a certain way, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to avoid that, and, and then I'm going to be separate, and then God will, will consider me righteous. No. They are the ones who worship God in the Spirit. Everything that we do, our life is an act of worship in response to what Jesus has done for us. That is true worship. I don't come in here on a, on a Sunday to, to worship. The worship is much broader in this context here, not just a worship service like we have here today, but it's a lifestyle. But we don't come in here and, and, and think that we are earning brownie points with God when we lift our hands and we worship Him. We worship Him because of what He's done for us. How can I do anything when, when God says, he puts me to sleep, and my yes says that I am righteous in his sight. What else would I want to do but worship him? Worship comes from the Spirit of God. The Spirit in us drives us to say, thank you, Jesus. You are so amazing for what you've done. It's not about me. It's not about my performance. It's about you. So, the, the true circumcision worships God in the Spirit and rejoices in Christ Jesus. There's that word again. Spins for joy. is the, A person that is filled with joy because what Christ has done. I mean, what a deal. You didn't have to do anything. He put you to sleep and you wake up and say thank you. What a deal. So that's something to rejoice about. And he also says here that they are characterized as those who have no confidence in the flesh. Now, he's taking a shot at circumcision here. 
No confidence in the flesh or anything that is done to the human body. But the flesh here in a broader sense is anything that uh, apart from Christ on which we base our hope for salvation. That's really a good way to define the flesh. Anything we are depending on to give us hope of our salvation. But there are a lot of Christians who do this. You know, they have their to-do lists, and we get this idea that there's this scale, and here's good deeds and bad deeds, and if I just get enough good deeds, and the scale tips this way, when I stand before God, I'll make it into heaven. Come on. This is not what Christianity is about. It is not about the flesh. It is not about my performance. It's about me awakening to the fact to what Jesus did for me and saying, thank you. It's amazing. So Paul develops this in his writings. Listen to uh, Romans 2 and 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Wait a minute. What, is it? what does he mean by outwardly? Physically. He's talking about physically. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. By the Spirit, not by the letter of the law, obedience to the letter of the law. And his praise is not from men, but from God. There's another verse that's not on the screen. Colossians 2 and verse 11 says, in him, that is in Christ, you also were circumcised. Not, however, with a circumcision performed by human hands, but the removal of the fleshly body through the circumcision that is done by Christ. When we came to Christ, he cut away the old, the old sinful past. He cut it away. We are now the circumcision. The mark of being a child of God is not an outward mark, the mark of being a child of God is the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the old life. It has always been that way, and it always will be. Even the prophets in the Old Testament, I think of Jeremiah, who said to the people, you need to have your hearts circumcised. The prophets said that to Israel over and over again because they were depending on their pedigree. They were depending on who they were and on, on their genealogy and so on as the, as the people of God. And that is not what God ever intended. It has never been about bloodline. It has always been about faith. In fact, Paul said in Romans, I believe it is, he said that, uh, our, I'm, my mind's going blank here, that our, our faith, is, it's not about our bloodline, he describes there in Romans. It's about our faith in Christ. It, it doesn't matter what uh, the bloodline is. We can't depend on those things. It is about our faith in Christ. Read Romans when you get a chance. You'll see that very, very clearly in there. So, Paul tells us um, that you can't do that. The, the only, the true circumcision are those who worship in the Spirit, who rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in their flesh. That's what God expects the church to be. Now, Paul's going to give his pedigree, and I'm, I'm running out of time here, but I want to go through some verses very quickly. Paul is comparing himself to the Judaizers. Now, you've got to remember, this is so ironic, because Paul 
was an, a master Pharisee. He was a master keeper of the law. And uh, he did just a, a great job with it. So he, uh, he says to, he's basically saying, okay, read this in the church, read this letter. And I want those uh, Judaizers to hear this. If anyone thinks, look at verse 4, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I the more so. Come on, Pharisees. Come on, guys. See if you can beat me on this one, Paul says. And he gives his pedigree here. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's when they're supposed to be circumcised. That's fascinating. Paul said, did it right according to the law on the eighth day. Um, he said, I was from the stock of Israel. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. And there's a lot of history in the tribe of Benjamin there that we don't have time to get into, but they were considered the Israelites of the Israelites. They had some bad eggs in their bunch too, but, but they, they were loyal to, to God more so than many of the other tribes. So he says, I came from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, I was distinguished among the Hebrew people. And concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. So he was part of the party, part of the elite. Concerning zeal, you want to talk about zeal, he said, for God. I persecuted the church. I killed some of your loved ones. I sent them to prison. I was that zealous. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, you could not point a finger of blame at me, Paul said. I followed the law to the letter. So he's bragging in, in a sense. You'd think, was he, is he bragging about this? No. He's giving his pedigree alongside these other Judaizers. But, he's gonna, but look at the but that comes next. The buts of Scripture are amazing. Philippians 3 and verse 7. But the things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. What a slam on these Judaizers. He's saying, I have, I've got these great accomplishments, but I don't want to tell you what they mean to me. I have counted all of those but loss. Indeed, I also I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as dung or rubbish, if we want to use a good British word. Pastor Johnny's waving back. He's so excited about that word being in there, rubbish. So I count them as rubbish. I count them as dung. I count them as, one translation says, dog dirt. You don't want dog dirt around the church. I count them all as dog dirt so that I can gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which came from the law, but the righteousness that God put in my account through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And he says, I want to know Him. I want to know the power of of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, it is all garbage. The past is gone for me. He is part of the circumcision of Christ. The old was cut away. The past was gone. And Paul says, I don't count any of my stuff that I accomplished as a Pharisee, anything. Now, you imagine the slam this was to those Judaizers in the church when they read this. 
You know, my goodness, you know, because Paul was a great one among them. So, the relevance of this warning for our day is that Paul's problem is still our problem in the church world. Anything that substitutes for simple faith is dog dirt. Any substitute that we bring up for simple faith is rubbish. You could be in a liturgical church following the liturgy and thinking that that is what makes you pleasing to God because you attend the service, you say the prayers, you do all those things. It's worthless to God in terms of obtaining righteousness. You can be part of a holiness church that, pre that preaches a clothesline gospel that tells you what you should be wearing, what your hem length should be, what is proper or improper dress code for a Christian to have. And you can be self-righteous in that. Self-righteous instead of God-righteous. You can be in a messianic church imposing Old Testament practices on New Testament believers, insisting that we pray with a prayer shawl over our head. I have no problem with that in terms of a cultural expression in a messianic congregation. I have no problem with that at all. You can blow shofars every five minutes in the service. It doesn't matter to me. That doesn't offend me. But when you think that makes you righteous, you got a problem. you got a problem. On and on we can go. Every branch of Christianity has its struggles. Everyone fights with this spirit, this Judaistic spirit that comes in and wants us to press for acceptance by what we do instead of by what he has done. And this is the gospel. I, I don't know how to make the gospel any clearer to you. It is not about your performance your performance didn't save you. Your performance won't keep you in relationship. It's your yes to God that matters. That's all that matters. In, in relationship with him because of your yes. And Paul goes on. I might as well just read the verses and not comment on them much at least. Uh, in chapter, in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. I'm pressing on so I can lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Brothers, I don't count myself to have arrived. This is the Apostle Paul. I didn't arrive. I want to tell you something. If he didn't arrive, I surely didn't. But I don't count myself to have arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to the things ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, if I keep saying yes, it's going to be an upward call. And therefore, let us, as many of us as are mature, have this mind. And if any think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let's walk by the same rule and be of the same mind. Paul said to the church, I want you all to think the way I think. 
And there might be some of you who are not quite ready for this. If you think otherwise, God will reveal to you. You'll get the message one of these days. You know how you'll get it? You'll get it by trying and trying and never feeling like you satisfy God, never feeling the nearness of God. You'll get it because you'll eventually realize that your performance in Christian life leads to nothing but frustration. What we do for Christ, we do out of response to his love and faithfulness. We say yes to him out of his, what he has moved, how he has moved toward us. And so Paul invites them in the closing verses to join him. Brothers, join in following my example. Take note of those who walk this way. Look to them for examples. Look for people in the church. Find examples of this. Look to them who walk that way as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, as I've told you often, and now tell you even with weeping, Paul's crying as he's writing this. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. No Christian wants to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. But he said there are enemies in the church. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. But he says our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working of which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Paul says, ultimately someday, it's all coming down to everything coming under the feet of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 and 2 talks about that, that all things will be subdued by Christ. And Paul said, until that day, it's the upward journey, it's the continual yes to the Lord. It's getting back up when I fall, realizing that my performance really doesn't matter. All I can do, it's not what I can do, it's what Jesus did for me. That is the gospel. That is the Christian life. That's what Paul calls us to in this chapter. Beware of dogs. They're running around, you turn your Christian radio on, watch Christian TV, you'll hear the dogs. They'll be telling you, they'll be barking and telling you about what you need to do to be in right relationship with God. There's nothing you can do. There is something that Christ has done. We have faith in that. We say yes to that at every turn in our lives. One day we'll stand, as Paul said, on that final day when everything's brought, everything's reconciled, and we will still be standing righteous because of God's initiative to make covenant with us through Christ. Amen? Let's stand together.